0: It's a privilege to be with you here this morning to share a good word that God has for us from the Bible and to close our series on parables that Jesus taught to bring us to a decision. Before I came to Renaissance, I was a student at Princeton Seminary, and I went to Princeton because I felt like God had called me to be a pastor, and I wanted to learn how to do that better. My time was spent there in preparation for being a pastor, taking classes on theology, language, history, and learning the practical skills of ministry. I learned how to baptize people, how to serve communion, and why we even do these things. And along the way, I was given some incredible opportunities to learn the practical skills of being a pastor through various internships. I worked as a mountaineering guide at a Young Life camp in Canada. I was a pastor for two local congregations. And I sold shoes at the local Jackrabbit store in Princeton throughout it all. One of my pastoral internships was a bit different than the others though, and it has profoundly shaped how I approach my job here at Wren. In 2018 and 19, I worked as the assistant pastor of a small Presbyterian church in the Belfast countryside in Northern Ireland. I learned an incredible amount while I was there. Things like pastoral care and preaching, administration, and I learned the life rhythms that will sustain me through ministry. But perhaps the most instructive lessons I learned came as I talked with the various people I would meet. As an American, I stood out. As anyone who's lived overseas knows, you are marked as an outsider by your accent. And that accent often leads to questions about why you're living in a certain place. Because I was there working as a pastor, people often asked all of the questions about religion that they had, regardless if I wanted to hear them or not. Sometimes I wished I had a Northern Irish accent simply to fade away into the background so I could relax, instead of feeling like I always had to be on. However, many of the times that I initially wished I had a Northern Irish accent to avoid a conversation ended up being the conversations where I learned a lot about God. And one of those conversations stands out above the rest. In June of 2019, I got a random message on Facebook from a familiar name. It read, Hi Ryan, this is Donna Sellers, Colin's mom. We saw from your family's Christmas card that you live in Ireland, and we were hoping that you might want to join us for dinner in Dublin to surprise Colin in a few weeks. Colin was my best friend from middle school, and I hadn't seen him since we were 12. So I wrote back immediately to tell her that I would be there, no matter what. Dublin was only a two-hour bus ride away from Belfast, where I was living, and I really wanted to see Colin after almost 15 years." As my dinner date with the sellers loomed, I found myself more and more overwhelmed with work. And by the time that I finally drove to the bus station in Belfast, I was exhausted. I was really looking forward to two hours of reading in relative quiet on the bus and recharging my introvert batteries. However, as I walked into the bus station, I noticed two people with backpacks on. And before I could look away, I made eye contact with one of the young men wearing the backpacks. It was that kind of eye contact that you really can't look away from after you've made it. And so I felt obliged to say hello before I began reading on the bus. And much to my dismay, he asked the one question I really didn't want to be asked. Aknit, as an American, what are you doing here? I replied that I was on a work study from Princeton, working as a pastor at a small parish church in the country. A pastor? He replied. My uncle's a Catholic priest. Can you not also get married? Oh, mate, I have so many questions. I've been dying to ask someone about religion. At this point, we were already on the bus, and he had sat next to me. If I'm honest, I groaned a little bit internally. To be fair, I felt bad about groaning, but I also felt God nudging me to speak with him. So I put my bookmark back in my book, closed it up, and we began talking. In my life, two and a half hours have never gone by so quickly. This guy had so many questions. What is the point of following God? Why can't priests get married, but pastors can? Do you believe in evolution? What's the difference between Catholics and Protestants? Mate, what about the talking snake? Are you trying to tell me that you believe in a talking snake? Do dogs go to heaven? Does God really smite people? Who is Jesus, and why do people spend so much time talking about him? Who do you believe that he is? Why should I believe you when you say that he's the son of God and someone that you think I should pay attention to? Without my prompting, my new friend managed to ask the one question that I think every human being needs to ask in their life. Who is Jesus and why should I pay attention to him? Our answer to this question is one of the most important topics that we can ever consider because its answers has implications for today. Jesus makes a startling claim about himself that we need to respond to, and we cannot just answer it once. It is a question that all of us this morning need to attend to. Who is Jesus, and what does that mean for me? Today, we will be looking at a parable that Jesus tells in Mark chapter 4 that will bring us to consider this question in a new way. Jesus told this parable to draw his listeners to a decision they needed to make to either let Jesus bring a clarifying light to their lives or to choose to walk in darkness. The choice is ours, and we must choose. As we listen to Jesus' story, we join a crowd that is already there, sitting around a natural amphitheater in the hills surrounding the Sea of Galilee. They were listening intently to Jesus teach from a boat that was anchored just offshore. Jesus has been teaching the crowd about life in God's kingdom through parables. And as we tune in, Jesus begins another. He says, "'Is a lamp brought in to be put under the bushel basket or under the bed and not on the lampstand? For there is nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to light.'" Let anyone with ears to hear listen. On the surface, Jesus seems to be asking a simple question, right? Where should we put a lamp in our house? At least, this question appears simple until we realize that what Jesus is presenting as a choice really shouldn't be a choice at all. I imagine that his hearers would be thinking, that's a stupid question, Jesus. Obviously, no one would bring a lamp in and then hide it under a basket or a bed. It's illogical and foolish. That would be like lighting a candle and then sticking it under the coffee table, or trying to toast bread in the microwave instead of just putting it in the toaster. Obviously, the lamp isn't meant to be placed under a basket or a bed, but on a lampstand. It's a lamp. It gives light to dark space, and it needs to be visible to shine its light out. Here lies the brilliance of Jesus' parables. They're simple stories that use common items in uncommon ways to subvert the way we view the world. They're intended to slip past our defenses, and they make us decide what we think about the truth contained within the story. When I read this parable, I can almost hear the crowd begin murmuring to themselves on the hillside, wives speaking to their husbands, and friends talking with friends. Can you believe this guy? He's suggesting that he is the light by which we should live our lives. Do you think that he is right? It's crazy, isn't it? Is it crazy? What we might miss is that Jesus is not the first person to use the image of light and things that emit light to describe God's nature and his work. Throughout the Old Testament, light and things that emitted light were often an allusion to God and his servants. God was described to be like a guiding light for the people of Israel in the book of Exodus. And the Messiah, a savior king who the Jews believe was God's intended savior to rescue the people from exile, was also described as light. This messianic king would, according to Isaiah chapter 9, be the one who cast out gloom for all those who lived under his rule. And he would be a great light to those who lived in the land of great darkness. And the darkness would never overcome his light. He would break the yoke of their burdens and the bar across their shoulders, and he would rescue the people from the rod of their oppressors. This coming Savior would reestablish the righteous throne of King David, and his kingdom would be ruled as God's kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness ruled forever by God through the Messiah in perfection. Jesus is making a startling claim, and we must hear his message that he is this Messiah— And we must choose. Do we believe that he is the Messiah who came to put all that is wrong to right? Or was he just a crazy person? The choice is ours, and our decision will either result in clarity or confusion. Jesus is intentionally highlighting this decision with his story. If you had a lamp, you wouldn't choose to hide it away. You would allow it to give light because that is how you are truly going to see in the darkness. If you would do this in a lamp in your house, why would you not do that with your life? It is only when we put God's light in its proper place in our lives that we are set free from the darkness that surrounds us. Are we going to try to hide God's light away where it doesn't belong, or are we going to let God's light shine into our darkness? This is a serious thing to consider, and Jesus warns those who hear him to attend carefully to it because we cannot wait to choose. The things that we think are hidden in the darkness are not truly hidden. They will one day be brought to light. Likewise, Jesus' identity as God who has come near to his creation as the Messiah will also be made evident to all people in time. There's no point in waiting to choose between God's light and our darkness because it will all be made light eventually. Why would you choose to continue living in darkness If one day that darkness will be made light, it is inevitable that God is revealed fully. So come and dwell in the freedom and light that he offers now. Because living in the light brings freedom, not bondage. Our decision affects today, not just forever. So don't wait. Part of the reason that I think Jesus is so direct in emphasizing our need to choose is because it's normal for us to avoid making decisions that we should make especially when they seem particularly weighty or painful for us. Consider this example. It's 2 a.m. and you wake up, and you really need to use the restroom. Your eyes are heavy, and the dream that you were in the midst of is lingering on the edges of your mind, and the thought of turning on a light sounds like the worst thing in the world. You resolve to at least make it to the bathroom before thinking about turning on the light, trusting that you know your bedrooms layout well enough to get there safely. As you get to the restroom, you consider turning on the light, and you choose not to, rationalizing that you know your way around. You immediately regret that decision. Or consider a student who's in the middle of writing their master's thesis and is quite stressed. A decision needs to be made, and research needs to be done, but the amount of work is overwhelming. So instead of doing what needs to be done, a quick check of YouTube to take a break leads to you re-watching every single highlight from Manchester United's treble winning season in 1999. It culminates in watching the entire final Champions League game against Bayern Munich. The game is incredible. The tension ratchets up. Bayern go up one goal and then they play incredible defense. Injury time begins and it looks like United's gonna lose. But just before the end, United get a goal back to force extra time. And just as time is about to expire in the game, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer taps in perhaps the most famous corner kick of all time to win the game. As you revel in the glory of what you just watched, it hits you. You still have 40 pages to write, research to do, and this was a colossal waste of three hours. Jesus is very intentional in pointing out the very absurdity of avoiding the decision that he thinks we should make. The things in the darkness will not just go away with time— They will actually all come to light at some point. It's not a matter of when, but why. Jesus thinks that we should place God at the center of everything in our lives and allow his light to erase the darkness and bring clarity, because when we do, we will find that his light brings grace, not judgment. Healing, not wounding. Life, not death. Mark makes this point through the language that he uses. Most Bibles translate verse 21 as, is a lamp brought in to be put under the bushel basket or under the bed or not on the lampstand? But the clear translation of this verse as it's written in Greek actually reads, does the lamp come in order that it might be placed under the basket or under the bed and not on the stand? It's a small shift with massive implications for the significance of Jesus' encouragement to let the lamp's light shine. In the first translation, the lamp is the object that is brought into a home. But in Greek, the lamp is actually the subject that is bringing itself into a room. This is significant because it tells us that we are not in control of God coming to us or not. In Jesus, God has come to bring light to the lives of all who will listen regardless if we want him to come or not. We are not in control of when God will come to us because God is not within our control. We can control our response to God, but we cannot control God. Jesus has been walking around proclaiming to everyone he meets that the time has come and the kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe in the good news that I have shared. Jesus wants each one of us to wrestle with the reality that God has come to each of us and offered to give us light in our otherwise dark world. Before you even knew you were in darkness, God came to you with his light of his love. The thought of God coming near to people would have sent the crowd into an uproar. God, come near to the people? That's crazy. God would never. We are sinful, broken people. We're unfaithful, prone to wander, and God could not dwell amongst us. His place is in the holiest of holies in the temple. And even the high priest of the temple can only draw near to God's presence in that holiest of holies once a year. And before he does that, he must be ritually spotless before he can offer the sacrifice needed to atone for the sinfulness of the people. God come near to us as sinful people... No way. But could that actually be true? Would that be true? Jesus intentionally forces those who are listening to hear this radical word through the simple story. The sinless God has drawn near to his sin-filled people before there was anything done to cleanse them so that he might dwell with them and make them clean forever. You can choose to live your life in this freedom Or you can choose to live in the darkness of not receiving God's presence. The one thing you cannot do is not choose, because God has already drawn near to you. Jesus thinks that you should choose God and experience the freedom that his light brings. For Mark, truly hearing this radical word of Jesus' that he was God who was drawing near to the people because he loves them was the ultimate act of faith. But to Mark, hearing was not just a process of taking in information through your ears. It was something more holistic. To illustrate this, Mark uses the Greek word for hear, akouo, three times in three distinct ways to highlight what properly hearing Jesus looks like. He says in verse 23, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given to you. For to those who have, more will be given. And from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. First, Mark uses kuo to hear as a statement of our ability to hear. Everyone who has ears can hear. All of us have the potential to hear Jesus today. And we were born with this capacity to hear God's voice, to know God and to be loved by God. Everyone was born this way because God created us to be loved by him and we should hear this word. Secondly, he uses a kuo as a command to hear. We are commanded by Jesus to use our natural ability to hear with our ears to actually hear what is being spoken to us. We are to pay attention to it, not to shrug it off. And thirdly, He uses a kuo as a directive. We're told to keep returning to what we have heard so that we hear it again and again. We should not let Jesus' good news go in one ear and out the other or only give it a passing glance every once in a while. We should hear it again and again so that we dwell with the freedom of God's decision to draw near to us. There's a tendency to think of our relationship with God as a journey that never stops once it begins. And that is absolutely true. We grow and change in our apprenticeship to Jesus as we spend more time allowing God's love to remodel our lives. But we must also find ourselves met with the full force of the gospel again and again. We cannot ever earn God's love with our actions, nor can we limit who God loves to one set of people. God loves each person individually, and he wants to be welcomed into their life just as they are welcomed into his. And it is on us to pay attention to what God says so that we can see properly. If we do, we will find that we walk with freedom as though a light is turned on in a dark room, and the way forward is clearly seen. As we do this, however, we must not expect it to be puppies and rainbows. We will find that as God's light shines in our life, that things become exposed that have been hiding in the darkness that we're attached to. Things that give us identity or comfort or hope. In the darkness, they might seem harmless. But when God's light is shown on them, they are exposed for what they are. Imposters that can never satisfy us. False identities that don't truly tell us who we are. And wrong solutions to our problems that won't actually save us from our sin and brokenness. Only as we come to know who God thinks we are will we be truly able to see who we are not and then to walk in the freedom of being God's beloved. God loves you. Why do you need another identity to give you worth? The creator of all has chosen you to be the one whom he loves. Is that not enough? Why would anyone hide that light under a basket? Sure, as it shines it might hurt at first, or perhaps it might hurt later on as we encounter the truth of scripture again and again. But the more that we let God's love cast light into our lives, the more free we become, and this freedom will result in a greater experience of God's love and freedom. But if we don't attend to what God is saying, even the clarity of the light will be taken from us, and we will continue to wander in darkness." God alone is the light that truly casts out darkness, and we should let him shine in our lives and rejoice that God shines his light upon us. As our bus pulled into Dublin Station, my new friend asked one final question. Ryan, why should I believe you about who you say Jesus is? As I considered his question, a thought popped into my head that surprised me, and I think what came out of my mouth surprised him. I looked at him and said, you shouldn't believe me. You should believe God. You should honestly ask Jesus the question, who are you really? And then you should give it your best go at answering it. However, I do want to warn you, you should be careful asking this question because if you do, it will demand everything from you if you listen to Jesus. But I'll be honest, I think that's the best possible outcome. And with that, I hopped off the bus and I walked into the rainy Dublin night to have dinner with my friends, aware that we can only turn to God for ourselves, not for another. I don't know what happened to my new friend. In fact, I don't even remember his name. However, what I hoped for him in that moment is what I hope for all of us this week. I hope that we will answer the question, who is Jesus, by allowing God to shine his light into our lives. As we do so, I hope that we will find that the light that he shines brings freedom and hope to us, and that it heals us of the things that bind us. God has indeed drawn near to you, and you need to choose to either set God's love in its proper place and see clearly as a result, or to choose to hide from it and to walk in darkness. The choice is yours, but I hope that you choose God's light this week so that you know freedom. Let me pray for us to close our time. God, I thank you for our time together this morning. And I thank you that in Jesus, you have shown light into our lives and you have drawn near to us. I'm grateful that you continue to draw near to us even as we don't draw near to you. Help us to choose you this week and to live our lives in the light of your love. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.